Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Tanya Leipold, who shares a book she discovered about the unexpected benefits of boredom. Here's more from Tanya. Hi, my name is Tanya. I am the founder of Land and Alliage in New York. We are a design studio that creates luxury textiles, soft goods, and wallpaper we mostly cater to the interior design industry. And slowing down was not really my thing. I don't really like to be bored. Every time I'm bored, I just think about all the things I could be doing instead. So when I saw this TED Talk by Manoush Zamarodi, it prompted me to read her book. It's called Bored and Brilliant. And in it, she cites Dr. Sandy Mann as saying, When we're bored, we're searching for something to stimulate us that we can't find in our immediate surroundings. So we might try to find that stimulation by our minds wandering and going off someplace in our heads. That is what can stimulate creativity. Because once you start daydreaming and allow your mind to wander, you start to think beyond the conscious and into the subconscious. This process allows different connections to take place. And this book is just full of anecdotes and psychological experiments which is a really brilliant approach to the relationship between boredom and the creative process, something that I never really thought about, although I do witness it in my own life, that when I put my phone down and I go for a walk or I just stare at a tree or even going on vacation, just taking myself out of my busy element allows me to think more freely. And that's usually when I get my best ideas. And the book also talks a lot about how addicted we are to our cell phones and how our cell phones are basically just an extension of our brains. So when we leave our phones behind, it really forces our brains to think again, not to rely so much on the technology. So that was also a really fascinating aspect of this book and sort of why I was drawn to it, because I do check my phone all the time. I look at my email all the time. I go on Instagram all the time. And so now I'm just more conscious of it. I'm conscious of my behavior and I actively try to slow down. Thank you so much again to Tanya for sharing. Again, the book she mentioned was Bored and Brilliant by Manoush Zamarodi. Now here's my conversation with Taylor Sterling. The creative process is exciting, messy, and in some cases uncertain, but it illuminates the depths of our subconscious and creates a runway to tell stories that inspire a shift in pace, allowing us to fully immerse ourselves in the worlds conjured up by some of the most creative minds today. Taylor Sterling is one of these creators, and her multifaceted approach to creativity has come to life most notably in the form of Glitter Guide, a brand and editorial platform that publishes lifestyle advice, reading recommendations, and tips for boosting and embracing your creative energy. 
While the site has amassed a loyal following over the years, the road to building Glitter Guide hasn't been all sparkles, and Taylor has grappled with the way that we collectively value and approach storytelling in an increasingly fast-paced environment. Yet as Taylor has paid attention to the big changes that have informed how she's built her business, she's also learned to pay attention to the little moments that are shaping how she's building her life, both personally and professionally. And in this conversation, she spoke more about those moments, along with how slowness has informed her relationship with creativity and what she's learned about surrendering certain expectations to make space for the things and moments that truly matter the most. This is a must-listen for anyone looking to reignite their creative spark during such a challenging time. So without giving too much away, here's my conversation with Taylor Sterling of Glitter Guide. It's funny because I was thinking about this question and I'm sure a lot of the other guests struggle with this, but it's, it's actually really hard to <laughs> describe myself outside of the work that I do. They're so interdependent, like really heavily so, my life and my work, but I feel like for the first time in a long time, it's not like in a negative way. Like it's really harmonious. The things that I'm enjoying in my personal life, like I I'm kind of a glorified homebody. Like I like to read, listen to music. I really like to stay in my house. And all of these things that I really enjoy have kind of become part of my work in the last couple of years. So I feel like for the first time, my life and my work are really together in a healthy way. Um, but outside of it too, I'm a mom and I'm an aspiring gardener, <laughs> very newly. I mean, I can't speak to gardening because I'm in New York and I don't have any outdoor space. So I'm always super envious of anybody who has that kind of private access to greenery or water. And you're in California, so that's a whole vibe in itself. I have a really small space actually too for for my um, backyard space, but I feel like it's a good little starting point. I've already tried and failed a couple of times. So I think like maybe this coming year is my year. <laughs> it's like a new goal of mine. So Totally. And I feel like this year, similar to how I've kind of built this podcast to talk about the change in pace, there's also conversation about shifting to only embracing what we need. So less really can be more in that regard. And I think as long as you're kind of pursuing those passions that fill you up, you don't really need more to distract you from the things that actually matter. Totally. I agree. Yeah. And I think what's so amazing about what you do is that you always manage to translate everything so beautifully online which is such a vast space with so many voices and things to kind of, like I said before, distract us from the simpler things that are probably better for us. Um, And, you know, I think we really connected because of our shared passion for some of these things, like reading, for instance. And so with that said, I would love to have you share a story, whether it's an article, a poem, or a book that made you slow down recently or kind of re-inspired your definition of delight. Yeah, I've been really lucky this last year in that I have read a lot of really amazing books, essays, and articles, a lot that have really made me kind of take pause and and kind of think about them. But I think there's one in particular that really stands out. Earlier this year, I read the book Upstream, which is a book of essays by the poet Mary Oliver. And I noticed that I keep like picking the book back up and like rereading passages. I have been kind of holding it close to my chest. And I think it's because I like, I really admire Mary Oliver's writing and the way that she can just like exquisitely describe 
just the really simplest things and also beautiful things. Like she, she's really good at paying attention to both beautiful and the mundane. And she examines them with like the same amount of wonder. And I, I really value that. And it's something that I try to do on a daily basis. It's also something that really inspired Glitter Guide. You know, we have this tagline called Flashes of Delight, where it's sort of the same thing. It's about paying attention to that spark, you know, the spark of something that you notice. And I think it's really important right now when we're all kind of stuck at home, we're not getting any new experiences, this like practice of paying attention to details and um, paying attention to things that you would easily overlook. And she has this one essay in the book that's called Swoon. And it's just about a spider. And it's like the simplest thing. She rented some house and she comes across this spider in her stairwell. And she just decides that she's going to pay attention to it. And she's going to write about it. And it's it's so simple, but yet it's so like <laughs> profound in this really weird way. And I was really into this essay and I haven't been a huge fan of spiders <laughs> in the past, but somehow like reading this essay, like it sort of changed my perspective and I have been more comfortable with them in my house and I've been trying to pay attention to them. And she has that quote, um, what is it? Attention is the beginning of devotion. That's like such a beautiful sentiment. And I try to kind of channel that every day. And like the spider essay was, I think, a good example of that, how something like a spider that you would overlook or you would maybe want to get out of your house immediately, like you can just change your perspective from paying attention. And her writing is beautiful in that it can change you in that way, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting to kind of be drawn into the worlds of writers who really have such a talent for breathing life into the ordinary. And I've personally been very drawn to literary fiction these days. You know, there's overlap in our reading lists. And I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but a lot of the plots that I've been reading have involved creativity as this catalyst for connection among characters. But it's been really interesting to also see it as something that's so prominent, especially as something that characters are really yearning for. And I think to that point, you've personally sort of taken a position on creativity and its role in our lives over the last few years. And we'll talk about Glitter Guide and that evolution shortly, but the act of creativity has really defined this chapter for you. And I'm curious how your relationship with it has changed even before this time and why you think it's more important now than ever before. My interest in the creative process sort of comes from it's going to sound weird, but a little like it comes a little bit from imposter syndrome. And just uh, <laughs> I throughout my whole career and like even before my career, I've always been somebody who has been really interested in so many different parts of like the visual arts and the process of it, not just one specific thing. So, for example, I'm not I do a lot of photography, but I'm not a photographer. I do writing, but I'm not a writer. Um and I do a lot of creative direction work, but that's like not my main thing. So I've always really struggled because I like to be a part of all different pieces of it and put it together like a story, but I'm not necessarily great at just one thing. And so I was thinking about this a couple of years ago and how like my strength really comes in this beginning period of an idea, like paying attention to the details, coming up with the story and every element of that story. So I think like when I'm working on a project, I like to think about the colors, the soundtrack, the characters, like even if it's like something like wallpaper, like I'm going to put a whole story around each print and pattern. And that whole creative process in the beginning is my favorite part. And so then I wanted to kind of 
illuminate that a little bit more on Glitter Guide and talk about this beginning kind of creative process and what it's like for me. And then it got me thinking about everybody else in the creative process and just, it's so messy, but it's so exciting. It's so energizing at the same time. And there's a lot of doubt and a lot of growth. And I don't know, I just wanted to explore that more because I personally struggle with it and still do. So I thought it would be interesting to talk more about that. I mean, so much of what you're saying I can relate to because I also find myself in different pockets of the creative process. But I think the most surprising part about being creative in our digital age is that there are so many vehicles to explore in terms of bringing these stories to life. And you are really among the first in terms of creating a substantial but really engaged community that values storytelling. So I think for those who aren't as familiar with your story in terms of Glitter Guide, tell us about the beginning days and how the brand has evolved alongside your own personal creative sensibility too. Glitter Guide is going to be going into our, I think next June will be 10 years. Wow. Um, and I've been doing this online editorial work now for maybe about 12. So it does seem like a long time now. Um, and it's funny because you know, you and I, like we've connected online and we have this kind of shared passion for reading and for more long format storytelling and things like that. But I sort of felt a little bit, again, like the word imposter comes up because I felt like, you know, Glitter Guide, I wouldn't necessarily classify as slow content. We've always been kind of a mixture of people's stories, interviews with other things like quick and easy lifestyle tidbits is kind of what I like to say. And so we're kind of this mixture. And then we kind of got to this point a couple of years ago where I felt like the quick and easy content was starting to kind of overtake the brand. And this is probably because just what the majority of people want, you know, in terms of us tracking what people are clicking on, what they're reading, like that's what they click on. Unfortunately, I mean, that's, it's just kind of how the world is right now. And it was becoming very, I was becoming disenchanted <laughs> with the brand and it was getting further and further away from me. I didn't really want to read my own content mm. and that was becoming a problem. So then about a year and a half ago, I started working with my business manager, who's also heavily involved in the editorial. And we started coming up with a plan of how we could shift a lot of Glitter Guide's content to be more in line with what interests me. Um, but this was like tricky because it wasn't a complete pivot, but to pivot strongly in that direction was going to be a big change for a brand that's been almost a decade old. So we started doing that a year ago and it's been great. It's been great for me. Like I was saying in the beginning, you know, I'm feeling a lot more connected to work than ever, but at the same time, um, it's difficult to change. And it's, it's again, like most of the people who come to the site don't necessarily want to read an essay or a long interview or things that are going to take them a little bit more time. And that's, that's hard. That's really hard to find the balance. It's something I'm having to kind of navigate. I'm still trying to work out. It's a big reason why um, I also started my own newsletter and website, just so I could have like a place where I could sort of have a group of people who have more like opted in for that style of content versus me always dumping it on the Glitter Guide audience, which I still sometimes do. <laughs> but it's like a, it's a growth process where I feel like we're trying to discover how much of that kind of content we can bring into the brand without necessarily, <laughs> I guess a, a word would be to like kill the brand in a way. You know what I mean? Just to be totally honest, we're, we're working that out still. 
Yeah, I do. Because I think we're all kind of in that period of reset. It's kind of hard not to be. But with that, you know, it comes that with that saying, sometimes you get what you need. And I think sometimes we just all need to consider where we're giving our attention to and our time to. And it's really just this kind of collective reckoning that we're having in terms of our relationship with pace, which is something that's really informed this new chapter of Slow Stories. Because before this time, I was kind of in an exploration period of seeing if there was even an appetite to talk about this. And I was very interested in drawing on elements from slow fashion and slow food and seeing how those values and practices could be applied to storytelling and content creation. Because when it's done in such an honest way, it can be a really profound tool to connect people, to educate them. But I think the tension of building something like this that's also financially viable in this space is kind of going to the core of what we're addressing on a cultural level in business and life. Um, and with that in mind, something that I always like to explore or ask is what this idea, especially in the moment that we're living in, what this idea of slow storytelling means to you because you mentioned that you don't classify Glitter Guide as slow content, but I think there are elements that you've translated into the brand from your personal narrative and channels that really allow people to immerse themselves in your curation and even in the visual side of it too. You know, I am trying to do things a little bit differently. I think, speaking candidly, like if I was to start over, I could, I think it would in some ways be easier, you know, I think trying to pivot a brand. I mean, we, like I mentioned before, we have always had some elements of this, so it's not completely foreign for us, but to pivot it in the way that I would like, and that I have, I have wanted to have it be for quite a few years, um, is really challenging, but I think we're doing it. We're doing it regardless of all the pushback I feel like we sometimes feel. And we're speaking to a smaller group and I am completely fine speaking to a smaller group. I want a group that, like you said, is wants to take pause and wants to engage and wants to get something out of it more than just necessarily getting some quick lifestyle tip that, you know, that, and there's nothing wrong with those. Absolutely not. There's a time and place for those. But for me, I want to connect with people about other things. And that's something that is going to be a slow process. I think for me, when I'm thinking about slow content, slow storytelling, not even just that, but just slow art and, and life in general, it's just, it's so much more thoughtful. Like it's more, it goes against like what we're talking about, all this like bombardment of flashy, quick, easy things that you can digest all in one app. You know, I think that for me, it's a much more engaging type of storytelling that's going to keep your audience there. It's going to require them to take time and to pause and to engage with it in a much more active way. And that's something that I really value. And I, I want to create stuff that makes people have the time and space to do that or that they want to create the time and space to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that level of awareness and authenticity really comes across in terms of what you share on Glitter Guide and on your personal channels too. Um, and something that I've also kind of been thinking about and bringing up in past interviews that involve creators who are engaged in the social aspect of storytelling, you know, obviously we're seeing the ramifications of the performative side of online storytelling. And so I'm curious, as someone who's built a pretty substantial presence online, you know, what is your North Star, so to speak, when deciding on whether or not you're going to share or create something in this volatile environment? You know, where do you draw the line between creating for you versus creating for others? 
That's such a good question. I think it's something that I've been grappling with a lot for the last few years. And I, and I, and I know so many other people have as well. Um, for me, it's, it's a huge challenge, the, the world of online and social media. I'm very active on it. I mean, I, I don't post every day and everything, but I'm on my stories a lot. And I, I have to, for work, keep it pretty active, which for me is challenging <laughs> because I, I try to let people into my life where they feel like they get to know me pretty well while still maintaining a pretty high level of privacy. I also, when in terms of creating the content, I'm such a visual person and I I'm come from a world of, you know, creative direction and photo shoots. And so for me, it's really hard to let go of some of the visual aspects of social media. So I've really held true to kind of keeping an aesthetic, um, a vibe on my accounts. I, I can't let go of that, even if it's going to be to my own detriment in a lot of ways. I try to have a mixture of kind of my artful eye mixed with me as a person. And in terms of like the performative aspect, we're all going to have a level of persona on social media. I think you have to, and and you would want to in some ways, but I have found it kind of difficult to play the game of Instagram. I think I just like the rebellious side of me just can't handle it. I just want to rebel against it. And it's been difficult for the last couple of years on there. Um, both my personal accounts and Glitter Guide, it's trying to figure out how to stay relevant, stay active, keep engaged on there, but also staying really true to who we are. Those things, if they align perfectly for some people, that's amazing. But for the rest of us, it doesn't always end up being that simple. And so you just, I just kind of have to find a balance of like, what can I let go of? And I have let go of a lot of expectations on there and just sort of do what works for me. Because if I put all of my energy into trying to make things perfect on Instagram, um, I'll go crazy. I love that you've remained so consistent, especially in your visual creative and point of view. Um, as you consider more modes of storytelling, I'm also curious how your love of reading and sharing other kinds of art forms has changed the way you approach you know, aesthetics and visual storytelling. Yeah, I think that reading, language, and even just other kinds of art forms, they absolutely like influence my visual art and visual storytelling through my work. You know, I think like you were saying before, we share a lot of them, the same books, we read a lot of the same stuff. And lately, I've been very drawn to very like lyrical, visceral, very descriptive writing. And I, I think that's because it really creates a picture in, in my mind, you know, it paints a picture for me really, really vividly. And I think that that practice of reading books like that and getting so immersed in this imagery can only help to influence my visual work. And not only that, but I think that reading in general um, opens up, you know, your world to such like different experiences and diverse opinions that, you know, you wouldn't get without it. And especially right now, as we're all just kind of stuck inside and not really getting any of that, I think that reading is really allowing us to kind of tap into these new thoughts and experiences. And that's only going to influence your work, whatever it really is. Um, but for me, it really influences my work in such a positive way that gives my work like so much more meaning um, than it would if I, if I wasn't exposing myself to that, you know? I do. Also, before we started recording, you mentioned that you aren't working as much just because of the limitations of how we are 
of how we're living, both personally and professionally. And with the slower pace, how has your relationship with pace overall changed the most this year? And what have you learned about the power of pace from life to work to creativity during this time? I think I should go back even further past this year. Um, I feel like the last couple of years have really led up to this year and have, have helped me during this crazy year. So when I, I had my daughter, she, she's about to turn seven. And when I first had my daughter, I feel like that was kind of the time where online, it was really rampant that like, you could be a business owner and you could be a mom and you could do it all. Um, and the self-care element of all of this hadn't really become trendy yet. And so when I had my daughter, I had this notion that I could keep her home for a good part of the first bit of her life while juggling work. I've been working from home from years. So I thought, yeah, no problem. Like I can do this. <laughs> and I quickly found out that that was not going to work for me. I was very, very burnt out when by the time she was about a year and I was really becoming, well, there were a couple of things. I think, you know, every moment of my day was being juggled between raising a newborn and trying to juggle my work. And so no free second of the day did I have time to breathe and take care of myself. And also I started to become very resentful of both my daughter and my work, which obviously is a horrible place to be in. And I felt like a failure on both ends. So I knew that I had to change my life. My whole lifestyle was about to just like, I had to make some kind of big life change. So it took me a long time. I had to work out what kind of schedule was going to work best for me. I ended up sending my daughter to daycare. Slowly, I went to full time with that. And then I also had to work out when she kind of graduated into an older schooling, how I was going to rework my schedule with a lot less hours. And I began, I began to slowly figure out like what I needed to feel not only like I was accomplishing enough with work, but that I was an engaged and devoted mom, but then I was also taking care of myself. So I slowly began to like do these things that you often talk about on your podcast and just, I slowed everything down. I created systems at work. I started to really like batch like all different kinds of things in my life. And all these things I had never done before and never really valued became so important to me and my well-being. And so doing all of these things, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really briefly mentioning them here, but there's a lot of them. Over the last like year or two, my relationship with work and the pressure to keep up with things really changed. Um, I don't have that constant need to be busy, to be the best at everything, to have go to every event, to speak at everything. It's to me now, like, I feel like I'm in a good place. And then when, <laughs> when this year hit, I mean, now everything's kind of been turned upside down again, but I had some things in place and a mindset in place that really prepared me to I like to use the word surrender. Like I feel like I'm I'm okay with surrendering things now and just sort of going with the flow because I have a new relationship to my time and what's important to me. Yeah, I really love how you put that. My whole career, I guess in a lot of ways has sort of been leading up to this point. Very similar to you in the sense of being in New York in this highly competitive, highly performative city and then trying to build something that's emotionally sustainable. I've uh, sort of been calling this my year of unlearning, especially all of the things that we're taught to strive for. And, you know, that's not to say that everybody should do that. It's such a personal thing. But yeah, everything that you're saying completely resonates with me. 
And at least in the vein of storytelling and what we do and being attuned to how creativity can be in service of some of the bigger conversations that we're having collectively, you just have to be able to give yourself a minute to process and to really recognize things. And that requires slowing down. You know, I just wrote a post for Glitter Guide too that was about like a creative incubation period. <laughs> because for the first time ever this year, because I'm like my hands are tied, like I, I don't have enough hours in the day to get to do a lot of creative projects. I also can't meet up with my photographer friends to create photo shoots. Like there's so many limitations. We're all facing that right now, right? And so I'm having to rethink my creativity in such new ways and also be okay with the fact that maybe I'm not going to feel as creative as I'm, I'm used to feeling, which sometimes can be really unsettling since a lot of my identity is what tied into creating things. And when that becomes something that's difficult, it's hard to overcome that. But I feel like right now I've been trying to change my mindset in that this year is about this incubation period where I'm consuming things, right? Like I'm trying to be like a sponge and I'm just like, okay, I, I'm going to read and I'm going to try to just absorb a lot of new inspiration. And the hope is that when we come out of this, that I can take those things and create something that I'm really excited about. Yeah, for sure. You know, to that point of taking a step back and being more in the listening and consuming side of things, we're in a time where we're acknowledging that Creativity is also linked to an element of privilege. This is a privilege, what we do, and I think being able to take in new voices, whether it's reading emerging authors or publishing an interview or essay from an emerging creative, you know, just making sure that the right voices are coming into the fold at such a critical time has really reinstilled an awareness that I had lost for a while in terms of how privileged we are to be able to do this. So I think it's just about taking a step back and allowing other voices to tell stories and be heard. I completely agree. I think it's so important and I, I'm with you in that we've been putting a lot of focus on that and, and realizing like just to even have a platform where we can offer that is important and it's important for us to make sure that we're doing that. And it's been really amazing over the last couple of years to do a lot more features and interviews and things like that on Glitter Guide. And I find it so inspiring. But yeah, it's, and it is, it's, I try to remind myself all the time that to be careful about how much we complain or, you know, I mean, struggle is like so relative to everybody, of course. And, you know, you don't want to just diminish that, but, but also to, to have perspective in that, you know, as hard as things can feel right now, I'm so incredibly grateful for what I get to do and the flexibility that I do have. And I'm so happy to get to do this work all the time. I just want to keep doing it and I want to be able to work more, but it's not in the cards at the moment. But I do think, you know, while we're in this moment of pause and navigating these conversations, whether it pertains to the political discourse, navigating dismantling systemic racism, creativity has been an incredible vehicle to make these conversations a little bit more accessible. I think it's also created a runway to ask more questions. And that's the thing that I think gets lost in our online storytelling space. We're all just kind of telling each other what's up, but not necessarily inviting space for honest questions. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways that's really changed in the last few months. But all of that to say, something that I always like to ask my guests, especially in this context where we're talking about one specific aspect of our lives, is if there's a particular question that they hope people start asking them more often, maybe in a way that doesn't relate to the narrative that you're currently showing online, you know, what would that question be? 
Yeah. Can it be a question that I would wish more people would just ask in general? Yeah. I, this goes kind of in line with what you're talking about in terms like, I feel like for so much of the past 10 years and for so many people who are in this space that we're in, where it is very like performative, it's very much about look at me. And um, I, I think that for me this last year, I've been really wanting to ask more of like, what can I do to help? Or like, what can I do here? And I feel like everybody could be asking that more. I feel like we're in this really like polarizing time. There, There's just a real lack of empathy going on. It feels like there's no reasoning to things anymore. It's just a very difficult time in that sense. And I have decided in the beginning of the year that one of my things was going to be to be more of an activist. And I don't necessarily mean only in the sense of politically and things, but that too. But just to, to not be quiet and to say like, how can I help here? Whether it's something as tiny as like helping my kid with a toy or like helping my family with something um, or what can I do online, right? To help people's voices be heard. I want to be more sympathetic and empathetic to how I can help more versus how people can help me. And I feel like that's kind of a shift that we've taken online a lot this year um, and not been afraid to make that kind of shift. That's been important to me. And I also think that for a lot of people who are struggling with the self-care aspect of things too, that that's an important question that you could even just ask yourself, you know, like, how can I help myself today? I just think all around that having more empathy would be good for, for all of us. For sure. And I don't think there's necessarily a need for a finite amount of time when we're talking about that kind of stuff, because as as we've seen online and with other narratives, you know, we all need to be aware of our health mentally and physically on an ongoing basis to be able to show up and really navigate what's going to be a vital next few weeks as we head into the election. And so self-care in that sense, I mean, I personally don't really like that word, but I guess just wellness or well-being is crucial to being active, to be able to give your talent, your time, your resources in the best and most energized way. Yeah, absolutely. I think like self-care has become sort of this buzzword. And I, I, I kind of hate, I hate when words get turned into something because I feel like self-care is not a negative thing, right? And it's been put onto things that it it isn't necessarily a part of it's I think it's just that act of again like paying attention like we were talking about earlier paying attention making space and time to listen and I think to yourself is the most important part absolutely and I think about what you're saying about self-care sort of becoming a parody of itself how we tend to make everything a commodity and even with slow stories you know I don't want to get to a place where slow doesn't mean anything just because it's everywhere but we'll see you know whatever happens there is a shift in pace in terms of how we see ourselves and how we see our communities and this will just be a time to rest so that we can take the appropriate next step after the pandemic and after november um and i think a lot of that to kind of bring this entire conversation full circle will really depend on our ability to be discerning with how we're spending our time, both online and off. But to that point, you know, I always like to ask this final question that I think is a good way to get people thinking as we close out each interview. And that question is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I think we have touched upon a lot of it in, in our discussion. I think 
For me, if you have the ability to, to slow down in terms of all the different areas that we've talked about, you get this time and space to, like we said, pay attention and to recognize things around you and within yourself that maybe before with all the noise and the busyness or things that you're consuming um, can sort of make it hard to hear and to notice. And I think that it sort of does come full circle into this idea of what I value so much is just this act, again, of paying attention to details around you. And I guess it's like practicing gratitude in a way. But like if you're able to just sort of stop and notice things more and take a pause, then all kinds of things that you may not have even valued before become valuable. And you can have this kind of amazement and things that you hadn't even noticed before. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think it can only lead to better work and, and hopefully a healthier lifestyle. That was my conversation with Taylor Sterling of Glitter Guide. Check out Glitter Guide online at glitterguide.com and follow them on social at Glitter Guide. And of course, don't forget to follow Taylor as well at taylor-sterling.com and on social media at Taylor Sterling. Stay tuned for highlights from this episode on our own social channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Bot on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Slow Stories. 